Welcome to the Energia podcast. My name is Stephanie Lianos and I'm a light worker, an energy healer and a soul mentor. My intention with this podcast is to show you all how to access the infinite potential within you by exploring the practices, modalities and habits that transcend you beyond the limitation of the human experience. By tapping into the multidimensional aspects of our existence, we are given the opportunity to co-create a life of magic, freedom and joy, a life beyond our wildest dreams. On this podcast, I will be sharing with you the tools to connect you with your higher self, your soul and the divine guidance that exists within the spiritual realm. I want to give you the codes that allow you to heal your life from the inside out, access the wisdom that lies deep within your soul and to align your energetic frequency with whatever it is you desire in this lifetime. This podcast is a portal into the deepest corners of the subconscious, into the layers beneath the logical mind. I want to empower you to master your subconscious ecosystem so you can live in a constant state of magnetism. There is so much more to this world than what meets the human eye. And it is my mission in this incarnation to show you that you are beyond human. You are light. You are energy. You are infinite. Hello, hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to the Energy Your Podcast. On today's episode, I am talking to self-empowerment and self-love coach Alana Aiken. Alana is a yoga and meditation teacher who specializes in well-being, self-love, empowerment, and mindset support for women. Alana and I connected in a mentorship program last year, and we have been navigating the roller coaster that is entrepreneurship together. After many years of being a teacher, Alana was burnt out, anxious, and felt so misaligned, so she decided to flip her life on its head and went on a journey to come home to herself and help other women do the same. In this episode, Alana and I discuss how much can actually change in a year when you take the leap of faith to leave your comfort zone in search of freedom and alignment. We have both left stable jobs to jump into a completely new path that support the life that we desire. We dive into generational trauma and the way our lives change when we were able to heal the energies that were passed down to us through our lineage. We also chat about Alana's recent ADHD diagnosis and how this has empowered her to move further into radical self-acceptance and how she's using this diagnosis to encourage women to do the same. It's funny, we recorded this podcast probably three months ago and so much has changed for the both of us since then and it's really just a testament to how much can change in your life when you get the right support and you focus on aligning with your unique soul truth and your unique soul blueprint so I hope that you love this conversation it was such a fun conversation to have enjoy so tell me a year ago even a little bit more than a year ago you were still a teacher yep still a teacher and tell me what life was like when you woke up every morning what was the thought process were you dragging yourself to work did you feel like it was your purpose or did it feel the opposite I fully when you say that I fully feel like a contraction in my body (laughs) um it was honestly awful I was so unaware of myself and how I was feeling I was literally just living on autopilot um and just like really struggling. Um, every day I would wake up and, you know, snooze my alarm like 10 times. 
roll out of bed, like drag my feet to the kitchen, make my coffee. It was always rushed, always running late. Um, and then, you know, get in the car with my smoothie. And a lot of the time I would just cry on the way to work. Like it was oh. awful. Was it like that from the beginning? Like when you first got into teaching, were you like frothing every day or was it like a, and then it was like a gradual decline or did you kind of have an inkling from the beginning that mm, maybe this isn't like what I'm meant to be doing? Um, I think it definitely changed. The first few years were great. I was at a different school. It was a really supportive community. So it wasn't just you're a teacher. Um, you know, you're a human first, whereas it kind of changed when I, Went to a new school, new staff, new class, um, not as supportive and everything changed from COVID. Like the whole education system obviously got flipped on its head and, you know, you're expected to adapt and be flexible, which I did. But, you know, the kids obviously changed. There was a lot of trauma on their behalf. Um, And, yeah, it just, it really took its toll on me. Yes, I didn't even think about that. Like all the kids collective will be coming back to school with all the parents' trauma and like the collective trauma that everyone went through during COVID. And tell me about like the people who you worked with, like were they uplifting vibes or was everyone kind of just like dragging their feet through life, just thinking like this this is as good as it gets? It was hustle energy every single day, like rarely stop and eat your lunch. Um, And then it was, you know, if you would eventually get to the staff room, a lot of that complaining kind of energy and just not a nice vibe to be around. Um, The first school I was at was very uplifting and you could really kind of fall onto each other, but it just wasn't a good vibe. And, you know, I'm very big on energy and, and what 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 people put out. And mm. it just, I remember feeling just heavy, really heavy whenever I'd get to school. And even like after I left, even driving past that, I'd have that physical kind of feeling in my body of like, oh, that this doesn't feel right, even being around here. Yes, I resonate with that so much. Because I used to work in the music industry at like a really well-known music label and when I would drive to work, my body would physically, yeah. like physically feel sick. I would be yeah. anxious. I lived in a share house at the time and my friends were like, you're so miserable to be around. Yeah. But it was like, I don't know what else to do. I know I want to be working for myself. I know I want to be um, being of service to people in some way, but I just don't know how to get there. So I'm just going to sit in my job. I'm going to hate my life. And I'm just going to wait for it to somehow Mm. get better. And I think that's such a common thing, especially I find in um, teaching is one of them. I do have a few friends that are teachers and they kind of experience this like collective burnout as well. But I guess just also a general societal view is that you're meant to wake up every day and go to this job and it's meant to feel really hard and you're meant to live for the weekend. And yeah. I, being surrounded by that constantly, you think, oh, that is the norm. And I'm guessing yeah. that's what you also experience as well. Everyone's going through it that you're working with. So you think, oh, this is just, this is just how it's meant to be. Yeah. And it was it, this culture of like, you work for the weekends, you work, you push yourself, you've got the term holidays to just rest and get over it. And then you've got the next term holidays. And then you, you know, just hang out till Christmas holidays. We're almost there. And it's just this constant, like run yourself into the ground because you've got time to sleep it off later. It's like, what, 
what is that? What kind of balance and life is that? And if you're coming into the space or the office with like a positive energy and you're trying to like make change in your life, you kind of like the odd one out. I mean, that's how I felt. I mean, working in the music industry is like very intense environment. And here I am, a girl from the beaches that surfs, that, you know, gets up for the sunrise. And then I got placed into this environment. And everyone, if you got up from your desk past like before 5.30, everyone is looking at you. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like, wait, we finished at five. Why can't I would just sit there and, and wait with this like collective dull energy? But what I kept know. me there was I just don't know what to, what to do next. And I think this is a really common experience for people who want to move out of their job, but they're scared or don't know what to do or what the next step is. So tell me what was the voice or the moment where you were like, nah, this has got to go. And you kind of took this like leap of faith into the unknown. I love it. (laughs) Um, It was, it just started as these whispers of, you know, your intuition coming through and that kind of gut feeling that like, this isn't for me and there's something else out there. And it was just this like slow unraveling of what I was supposed to do and like the direction I was going to go in. And I think if it honestly wasn't for COVID, I would still be in teaching, but Mm. that experience made me realize, like I was stepping into more of a mentoring role in COVID of like mentoring the parents and mentoring the kids, like giving them well-being support. And why don't you guys try this as a family? And it's like, this feels really good. This feels really fun for me. And it kind of just kept unraveling from there. Like, and then it was one day I had this like light bulb spark moment of like, oh my God, I get it now. Like I was supposed to burn myself out and run myself into the ground and go through this massive transition to realize that this isn't for me. And I'm leading myself through this so then I can help other people lead themselves through it as well. So I feel like it's the experiences that shape us and also those whispers and that gut feeling that you can't ignore because once you start to feel it and hear it, it starts to get so much louder until you take that action and really like listen to what it's telling you. Yes. And I agree with that so much. Mine was like this random light bulb moment. Mind you, I had been working in the music industry for like five, six years. And then I was sitting in bed one night and I had felt the whisper, but I wasn't really connected to my intuition then, but it was like this thing, like, it's got to be better than this. You know, there's got to be more than this. And then my brain goes, go and study personal training. Like I was like, what? That is the weirdest thing I've I would never think about being a personal trainer, but I know it was like guiding me towards like a different lifestyle instead of a nine to five. And I ignored it and I ignored it. I ignored it. And then all of a sudden it would not get out of my mind. So I Mm. signed up to be a personal trainer and that got me to where I was now. So it's that repeated voice and it starts off as something that probably feels a bit foreign and then it'll get louder and louder and louder until you're just like, well, if I don't listen to this, I'm going to go crazy because this thing is like banging down on my back. Yeah. Did you have any practices back then to listen to your intuition? Were you meditating? Were you doing any of that? Or was it like your first introduction to the voice? Um, I was meditating, but it was more like my mental health was shocking. I had really bad anxiety. Um, you know, I was working with a lot of different healers and practitioners. And so it was very much a reactive, like meditate to feel better, like kind of on the back foot. So I wasn't consistent with it. 
Um, but I think it was until it became like a consistent practice and, you know, getting out in nature became something and I, that I did every day and journaling became something I did every day that you kind of like quieten it out the ego and that intuition can really start to shine through and then it becomes really loud. Mm, and tell me when you were in that reactive, like lower vibrational state, what sort of things were you attracting in your life? So if we think about like, you know, the law of attraction, like attracts like, and the reason that we engage in energy medicine is to maintain and uplift our vibration so we can have a really high vibrational life and community. When you were in that reactive lower vibe state, who was coming in? What sorts of thoughts? What sorts of experiences? What did your actual physical body feel like as well? Mm, God, um, physically, I was in so much pain, like every day and thought it was just normal to, you know, go to the osteo or the Cairo every couple of weeks. Um, my neck and traps was just constantly seized up. And it was just attracting a lot of like that victim energy, a lot of blaming energy, um, you know, a lot of drinking, a lot of partying, a lot of just that low vibe kind of feelings of who you're around, a lot of that complaining energy, um, all of the things that help the ego to thrive. So then you're just stuck in that low vibe every day without even realizing. Yes. And with your neck and your traps, were you of the approach like, oh, it's just normal to have a sore neck and back? Because the reason I say that is because when I was first starting out and I was seeing more people with physical pain as like the primary reason that they came to me, they're like, yeah, my neck and traps are so sore, but it's just normal, you know, because I'm just working all the time. And it's now we know that they're really important messages that need to be mm. deciphered. And once the reason for the message is gone, it disappears. Yeah. The pain will really dissipate. So were you of like the column A were like, yeah, this is normal. Or did you kind of know that it was a message at that stage? Um, at the beginning, it was like, this is just normal. I, and it's funny because the first time my neck went out was about one month into my career as a teacher. So, yeah. and then it continued every, for the next, you know, four years, every sort of couple of months, it would just pinch and go. So I'm like, this is just normal. Like I'm busy. I'm on my laptop. I'm looking down at kids all day. And then finally enough, I quit my job. I get out of that career. It's, ha it's never happened since. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. It's insane. It is so insane because neck pain and back pain are so normalized. Mm. Like people say they have back pain and it's like a common shared experience. Like, oh yeah, fuck my back hurts too. Hey, or yes, fuck my neck is so sore. And people like just go to the physio. Oh, you should go and see my osteo, you know, he's yeah. so good. And yes, that treatment as well is so important to improve your quality of life. But imagine if more people were talking and going, well, that's actually your body saying that something isn't right. So you should probably go address exactly. what is happening in there. So many people wouldn't be stuck in the, um, in this common shared struggle and yeah so that's it important. now it's like anytime I feel the slightest bit of pain I'm like what is this telling me and you know the past couple of months I've, I've started to get like a you know I saw you I had a little bit of a tight neck and and I'm like okay what's this telling me I feel like I'm dropping off on this or I'm dropping off on that I need to up this practice or so it's like anytime now my body is trying to communicate with me it's a time to get curious and really like dig deep. Like what is this showing me right now and what can I do to help it?
Yes, a hundred percent. And I love, I love hearing that that's where you're at. I have been this week and actually the last two weeks, this might be TMI, but whatever, it's going on the podcast. I've been breaking <laughs> out in these like rashes on my body oh. and I am constantly telling people your body, your body's giving you messages. You need to decipher the messages, but because I've been busy, I've just been putting cream on it that I would mm. never put this sort of cream on my body. And then it kept coming up like rash after rash after rash. And I'm like, oh my God, I need to address this in the way that I tell everyone to address this all of the time. <laughs> and when I went into it and I did a balance on myself, the message that kept coming up is there's something getting under your skin. There's something getting under your skin. And then when I sat down and I sat with it, I checked in with this recurring thought that I had been having for the past month that I needed to talk to someone about, but I just didn't talk about it. So my skin wow. was consistently reacting to me, um, just keeping that inside. Now, because I left it so long, the rashes now needs to be addressed from a um, physical perspective as well. So that's happening, but it's such an important reminder. And it's one that is forgotten so often and I think if we walked into a school or an office and we asked people how many people have back pain or how many people mm. have physical pain pretty much you know a lot of people unless of course that's their purpose to be in that role would be say yeah and it's normal and yeah. you know I just live with it yeah absolutely it's wild so wild so what I want to ask you next is Lots of people, you know, can listen to this podcast or they listen to people and say, oh, it's just so easy for you to quit your job, you know, like it's so easy for you. It's different for me. I can't do it. I blah, 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 the story. I want to know, how did you overcome your own story and your ego story of saying this might be, you know, a bad decision or it's not financially sound what did you have to do to overcome the noise to feel mm -hmm. safe in taking the leap? Yeah. Um, and I was one of those people for months. Like I can't do this. I need to do that. And, and just all the excuses. So I think for me, it wasn't an overnight decision. It's, you know, you start getting those whispers, like maybe this isn't for me. This doesn't feel right. Putting myself through this much mental and physical stress. So it took it took months for me to really, you know, support my nervous system in making that decision and, you know, having that kind of backup support. So my nervous system did feel safe because, you know, we need to have money to pay for our bills and, and house and food and everything. So for me, it was coming up with a plan. So I felt supported. And then when I did make that leap, I wasn't doubting myself and going back into it. So I, um, I went, I actually used all of my annual leave and had that kind of pain while I was, while I left. And then that kind of transformed into the school holidays pays just so, to give myself a good sort of four or five months of, um, just rebuilding, you know, getting to that point of burnout just really looking after my mental health, really looking after my physical health again, really tending to my nervous system every day. Um, so it wasn't like a quick kind of decision I made overnight. Um, yeah, I think it is something that we need to feel supported in when we do make that leap and that transition. And for some people, it might be 
just getting out of the career that you're in and finding something that is just going to get by until you work out what you're going to do next. So, you know, having a look and thinking like, what is the bare necessities that I need? Like take out all the luxuries to begin with. What do I need to survive? What do I need to feel safe? And how can I make that happen without my mental, physical and emotional health being sacrificed? Yes. And that's so important. And I love how much of an importance you put on your nervous system, because I think that in the, the spiritual manifestation, you know, personal development world, there can be this tendency to invite people in a really, um, I guess it can be a little bit of a manipulative way to Mm. take leaps and bounds without firstly creating safety in the nervous system. And doing it in a way that is out of the comfort zone, but also the body is not in a fight, fight, freeze response while doing so. And I talk a lot, you know, about joy and life shouldn't be hard. And that is an important theme for my life. But what I will say is when I left corporate to go into an easier lifestyle, I had to work six days a week. I was studying three, two nights and one Sunday and at that time, life was really difficult for about five months, but it it was creating the nervous system support in terms of money that I really mm. needed. So there is this like weird period of adjustment. And in that adjustment, I think that's where lots of people um, doubt because yeah. there's that recalibration phase and things might feel harder before they get better. But it is in that phase that you're creating a really important structure and foundation for yourself. And I think that's the part that takes the longest. Because when we say so much change can happen in a year, it's like you go through that harder, challenging, perhaps recalibration process where you're preparing the foundation. But then once that's done, it's like super speed into like you know, what you're going to do next and just the momentum of things that happen once the nervous system has been supported and once the foundations have been set um, is amazing. And that's when you really reap the benefits. That's when you go, you look back at the year and you're like, shit, it felt slow at the time, but actually, fuck, I did so much, so much in that time. Yeah, absolutely. And when you do give yourself that space, you that clarity starts to come through. It's when we're so busy and we're so, you know, our nervous systems are so heightened in that fight or flight. It's like you almost can't see what is possible because you just, everything's so busy. So giving yourself that time to really recalibrate your nervous system, giving yourself that space, that clarity starts to come through, um, which is just amazing. What did the people around you say when you said, I'm going to leave teaching to move? Did you know you were going to step into a mentorship role? Like you kind of had known that or were you waiting for that to come through in the, no, I, guess, I knew. You knew. Okay. <laughs> I so, knew. so you're leaving teaching. It's like probably something that you identified with for a while being a teacher, as we do tend to identify with our careers. Yeah. Um, not that that's a good thing, but it's a human <laughs> thing that we do. So, you know, you're telling your family, your friends, I am, I'm getting out. I'm going to be a teacher. What's, what was everyone's reactions? It's funny because, you know, my family, Chris, my husband, they were the ones for months telling me, get out of there, get out of there. And I was just stuck in that ego kind of frame of mind of, no, I have to see this through. No, that I've got these kids, like got to see the end of the year. So they were so relieved for me because 
And now I look back, I'm like, God, I would have been such hard work to live with. <laughs> Just coming home every day with that heavy, like life so hard energy. Um, so everyone was really supportive. And, you know, the the good thing with teaching is that I always had the option to do um, casual relief teaching like part like here and there just to have that safety again um but yeah everyone I spoke to was just like get get it done get out of there you'll figure it out what about those who were still in the struggle and because I remember when I was leaving my industry people were like oh but this is so good like you know it's so good here like it's not as bad as you think because Mm. they're super triggered by your decision to perhaps do what they're not brave enough to do yet or you know what not ready enough to do that not ready enough to do yet no judgment on their behalf at all but that's where a lot of people get stuck because they have these like energy vampires around them who make them doubt their decision did you experience any of that in your space I think I was so firm in my decision before, like when I was at the point of telling people, but I think it's, you know, you really have to trust yourself. You really have to trust that you know what's best for yourself when you are making these big decisions. And, you know, if it takes like keeping that kind of to yourself until you do have that fully trust and faith and that you're making the right decision, because people project all of their fears can project all their fears onto you they can you know you you don't want to be in that vulnerable position where your mind can easily be swayed when it is a hard enough decision to make when you do have a big career change totally and that comes back to the nervous system because if Mm -hmm. you're in fight flight or freeze mode you aren't making really logical, conscious, intentional decisions. You're on like this tipping point where just one thing someone could say to maybe question or like, oh, you know, maybe it's even an innocent question. Like, oh, so how are you going to support yourself? But if you're on fight or flight, you're like, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to support myself. Oh shit. And then you tip back in the other direction and then you're back to where you started. So it's this really, I guess, important thing that isn't as mentioned in the manifestation world. Because what you were doing, you were manifesting a new life. So it was Mm. that process, but I guess it was like the um, unglamorous side of manifestation where it's like I need to create safety I need to go through a recalibration phase I might need to go a couple steps backwards in terms of some people might need to take on casual work or whatever it is before moving forward but that baseline nervous system safety and trust in the self like I've got me no matter what energy is so important yeah 100% so you left the school you were going into mentorship. How did you start working on your energy to begin that manifestation process of vibrating to the frequency of your new of your new career? So with that, I would love for you to actually go into like detail if you remember of certain practices, whether it's any meditation or any healers or people that you saw in that initial phase to start recalibrating your frequency and your alignment to this new new life and new career. Yeah, so I obviously had kinesiology and sessions with you and another amazing um, kinesiologist, and I learned a lot from those sessions. I was having sort of acupuncture at the start, um, doing ice baths, meditation, journaling. Um, To begin with, I was seeing, I was also doing energy healing, um, 
like Reiki doing sessions. It all. <laughs> I was doing it all, not every day, obviously, but just I think going from running, you know, four years on autopilot, um, coming through like the other end with anxiety. I'd just come off my antidepressants a few months before I quit my job. So it was really important that I had the support around me um, just to feel that safety in my nervous system. Yeah. Tell me a bit if you're happy to into antidepressants. Was this, do you feel like it was teaching that got you into a place where you needed those antidepressants? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Right. Again, it was like, you know, one, one month, you know, whatever my neck started to go. Um, I started to, other things happened in my life around that same time, but I'd started seeing a psychologist in my first year um, of teaching. And, you know, after a good sort of nine months of working with her, it got to the point that I went on antidepressants. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of social anxiety and it was all, it was all interlinked. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really interesting. So when you were going through that process in terms of talking to someone and finding that symptomatic relief, did it ever occur to you that you need to address the root cause of the problem, which was the environment that you were in? Or were you not, was that was, not even on the radar? No, it wasn't on the radar then because you, you know, you spend four years at uni and thousands and thousands of dollars getting to that point of that, you know, starting that career. It didn't even cross my mind that, I could or should be doing something different than teaching. Yeah. That would have come with a lot of limiting beliefs then when you finish teaching. And I think this brings me to another important point is that when we make these changes, when we're trying to manifest something new, when we're trying to be a upgraded vibrational frequency, there is a lot of subconscious work that needs to happen because you're going to leave your career and then all of a sudden the ego is going to go, well, we studied for four years and we know mm. how to be a teacher and we know how to do all of that. And your ego goes into protection overdrive. Yeah. What were some of the limiting beliefs that you, if you can remember, or the theme of things that you needed to overcome to, again, realign with this new career? Um. I think the thing with imposter syndrome, it's something that I've always had. Even when I was teaching, I never felt good enough. I never felt like I was, you know, good enough in teaching. And those kind of limiting beliefs and imposter syndrome definitely came through into my next career into this new direction. But it, I think for me, it was learning you know, learning about the mind, learning about our limiting beliefs, learning about our ego and knowing that I don't identify with those thoughts. Like those thoughts are not my reality. That's not me. Um, it's just my ego trying to hold me back. But, you know, it does take a lot of, and it still does take a lot of work to kind of push through that imposter syndrome because it's something that, you know, has just shown up for a lot of my life. And when you go from teaching, which is one of those professions where you are in a way not judged, but you're only given the opportunity through getting a certification, like there's a deep process involved. And then you move into a industry where you don't have a university degree. I mean, some people might, but for mentoring in a way, you don't have like a specific degree that says I deserve to be doing this. Mm. It's a lot of like innate soul wisdom, learned experience. It's a specific human that's designed to do this. 
So when you were teaching, you're like, you know, I deserve to be here. I have a certification that says I can be here. But then in mentoring, you're the one that says, I believe in myself. So I guess a lot of the work is actually convincing yourself that that innate belief is enough to put you in the right place. Yeah, 100%. And we even did work on this together. It's, um, it's like fully trusting and believing in yourself. And I think now I understand why it's something that I have always struggled with since being diagnosed with ADHD. Um, So I think it's now kind of unlearning everything I learned from childhood about myself and fully believing and stepping into that version of like, no, I am worthy. No, I, I can do this. And, you know, I don't have to compare myself to other people anymore. And yeah, so it's been a lot of unlearning and relearning. And I know you did a lot of generational trauma clearing as well. And that was maybe like a couple months ago, maybe five or six months ago. And with generational trauma comes a deep unlearning of things that we have inherited from our parents, from their parents, things that have gone down the lineage. And these are very, they're subtle things that have the capacity to change the way that we live our life because we are born with these wounds or mindsets or conditioning. And because they came through the generational line, they feel like home. They feel like core wounds. They feel like a part of who we are. So what led you to Deva, that incredible woman that helped you move through that? And why did you feel like that was the next thing for you? Like what had to come through? What had to be unlearned? Um, again, it was just this whisper, then this gut, you know, the gut feeling that intuition coming through that like, it doesn't make sense, but it's so loud that you need to do this. You need to work with her. And I did. And it was just the most incredible three months because we went on a, yeah, really deep. She's a spiritual, spiritual mentor. We went a really deep journey um, together and, you know, discovered a lot of those generational trauma wounds and kind of just gave me that clarity that these don't belong to me and I can do the cord cutting and I can get rid of them and it's not my story. And yeah, so it was a really empowering experience working with her. Generational trauma clearing has definitely been the biggest, the biggest life changer for me. So I didn't start clearing generational trauma till probably about a year ago. Cause when I was studying kinesiology, we had to like, obviously we were practicing on each other and giving each other balances back and forth. And a lot of the time when I lay down on the table to be like the practice client, my generational trauma was coming up in every single session. And the biggest thing that I found was literally the way that I saw the world up until two years ago was based on a generational imprint of fear and control at the world is a scary place. And this comes up with so many of my clients who, because I'm Greek and my clients who are, have Italian or Lebanese Mm. or Greek or European backgrounds, there is this really deep wounding around scarcity. Yeah. Fear because of the way our grandparents and great grandparents grew up and also feminine wounding because women were not given the opportunity to express themselves. They were not given the opportunity to really be empowered or use their Mm. gifts. It was a very suppressed um, era for a female. Yeah. And it wasn't until I cleared my generational trauma that I was allowed, I was actually able to change my whole outlook on life. 
I used to, I used to think of every single bad thing that would go wrong before I would do it. Before I would cross the road, I would imagine a car hitting me. Same. Before, it's crazy. Before Insane. I opened a drawer, I would imagine my fingers getting caught in the drawer. And before I would do anything at school sport, I would picture myself doing it wrong and everyone laughing at me. And then yes. of course I would manifest it and it would happen. And I thought that's just how everyone thought. I just thought yeah. that was how we were being protected. Anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Because if you don't know, if you can think of every single bad thing that's going to go wrong, then you're protected. And that was why I made such a good video producer in the music industry, because as a producer of any sort of content on a big film set, you need to know every single thing that could go wrong. So you have a backup plan for it. Yeah. So I thought I was like thriving in this environment, but really it was my generational trauma being so lit up consistently anyway through my work and through like you know going back to that time and doing the cord cutting which is like such a beautiful visualization and having like a lot of energetic clearing done as well on my physical body I've finally been able to see that oh my god that's not that's not how people think no, that's not mine. Yeah, it's that is way of not, It's not my way of thinking. Yeah, there's definitely, um, you know, patterns that I have seen come through. And I think that's why I'm trying to be more mindful and self-aware because, you know, one day I want to have kids of my own and I don't want to be passing that kind of generational trauma and those wounds onto my future kids as well. So it's so interesting though. And I like what you said before, I was exactly the same. So I would always be the one to plan things and I would always be the one to to organize everything because I had to know everything that was going to happen so that generational trauma and that anxiety wouldn't have me feeling like I can't control this situation. So it's just, it's wild. And do you find now, and I guess this is my experience, but it's been common with my clients as well, the ability to surrender is easier when you detach from the stories of your generational lineage because surrender I feel at a time where there was war there was you know a lot of famine a lot of uh, scarcity surrender was really hard mm. surrender has been the biggest thing for me to be able to lean into and since we shared the same sort of anxiety like you were saying before tell me about surrender in your life now what role it plays yeah, it's a massive, plays a massive role in my life. And I think it's something I always used to resist and I would never fully accept how I was feeling or the state that I was in. It was like, how can I fix this? So I've always been in that fix it energy. And now it's like, I surrender. I'm like, what is this teaching me? Like, what is my body? What is my mind? My energy? What is it trying to show me? And how can I best support it right now? So yeah, definitely massive shifts in not trying to fix. And now it's just rolling with it and tomorrow's a new day. Yes. And that really ties into the self-empowerment mm. theme that you run through your business. Why self-empowerment? You know, when you started out as a mentor and you, you know, when you went into this path, was it because your own experiences gave you a sense of self-empowerment? Is it something that you noticed was lacking in the people around you? What brought, you know, what brought self-empowerment really to the forefront of your own business? It, for me, it was, um, I always played very small. I would always try and hide. I lived, you know, 
all through my 20s being very self-conscious, like don't look at me, I've got anxiety, I'd get really hot and just not owning who I was and hiding who I was through drinking and partying and just trying to fit in and doing what everyone was doing. And, you know, you go through that whole spiritual awakening and just wake up to who you actually are and your values and what you want to be doing and what really lights you up. And it's empowering, but a lot of us don't have the courage to fully step into that authentic version of ourselves. So a lot of the work that I do now is around that empowerment and really owning who you are and not trying to fit into the box and just really, you know, fostering that self-love. And yeah, so... I think it's definitely come from my own experiences of just hiding and not wanting to be seen. And it's made me realize that as women, a lot of us do this. We just, you know, do what we think we should be doing and kind of just fall into this um, this way of living that doesn't feel authentic and aligned to what we actually want to be doing. Totally. And that concept, that theme as a woman not feeling comfortable and okay to be seen is a deep generational wound that a lot yeah. of that a lot a lot of women experience and also a big past life wound especially yeah. those of us who want to work in healing who are you know what we call light workers or mentors or you know energy healers back in our past lives we were either killed or Mm. um, punished or just told that we weren't able to express ourselves authentically, to be healers, to be empowered. So, so many women are walking around not knowing that this, this desire to hide is actually something that, you know, can be cleared and can be worked on and can be let go of. Yeah. So, the foundation is all around well-being and self-love. So it's learning like every single day, how can I best support myself? What do I need? How is my energy? How is my capacity? And then creating a really beautiful um, different self-love and self-care practices based on each unique person because we're all different. We all need and want different things in our lives. And, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all fits all kind of approach because, yeah, we, you know, jobs and everything as well. So it's really creating the foundations that suit each and every person um, so then they can thrive and they can really step into their voice and step into using boundaries and not being afraid to be seen anymore and not feeling like that they're a burden. And yeah, so it's the foundations is all around our well-being and self-love. Yes. And I love that they when they can see themselves every day for who they are and who they need and what they need, sorry, then the world will respond to that energy because this concept of I am a burden is another one. I actually did three people in the past month who had this same sabotage program running. I am a burden. I'm a burden. Mm. I'm a burden. And because they felt like a burden, they, they're, their programming, their subconscious programming was I'm a burden. They did not engage in self-care practices because to look after oneself in that state of mind, it's like, I don't deserve this because yeah, I am a burden. Yeah. And if we don't feel like we're worthy, 
it just, it filters out into everything in our lives. Like I don't then feel worthy to prioritize myself. I don't feel worthy to say no. I don't feel worthy to leave my job. It just, worthiness is, it affects everything. So, and I can relate with that because I used to feel like a burden all the time as well. And it's been, you know, really empowering kind of undoing that belief system and not identifying with those kind of thoughts anymore. It's crazy when we talk about all of this, it's like you did all of this work in like eight months time, you know, you went like so (laughs) deep into so many fragments that, that put you together. And when we talk about worthiness, it's like somewhere in our subconscious mind, when we were, you know, when it's being developed from the ages of zero to seven, someone, something, somewhere taught us that we are not worthy. And it's so Mm. sad because because we are born, we are worthy. There is yeah. no, there is no measure. There is no, nothing needs to happen for us to be worthy. We came into this life worthy, yet we have been taught somewhere. Yeah. Shown that we are not worthy, you know, whether it's like parents saying like, if you're good, I will do this, but it's yeah. like, okay, well now there's good and bad. Now there's a metric. I have to do this to receive this and that's and that is really really sad and I think that a lot of people don't realize that you you learned not being worthy yeah it's all these wounds from childhood and it can be unlearned and it takes work and yeah it's so it's so interesting I think it's something I was very mindful of when I was a teacher just how precious kids are and how you know their brains and they're developing their subconscious mind and it's just it's something I wish more people were aware of not only teachers but parents and it's something that yeah it can really affect us for the rest of our lives these our subconscious way of thinking it'd be hard as a teacher I was actually randomly thinking about this yesterday that you're like you know you could be having, you know, a bad day or a bad month and there's a child playing up and they're just doing their best in the child that they are. But then there is like a snap reaction or a need to punish them or a need to exclude them from the group. And it's so crazy because if you're a teacher with students from the ages of zero to seven, like it's hard. you're, you're responsible for their subconscious development. And yeah. that's, that's, that's just wild to me that like, there's no not it's not common knowledge that zero no. to seven are the developmental ages that that's when their subconscious is being formed and yeah. so many kids are being put in these situations or with teachers or with kids that are just imprinting them in perhaps a way that's not benefiting them I know I had this conversation the other day that it blows my mind that you know, at uni, when you're starting to be a teacher, there's nothing really on trauma. There is nothing really that goes into the brain and this, our subconscious. And it's just, it, yeah, it blows my mind. And I'm grateful that I am so aware of it because I was really mindful of how I was speaking to kids and how, you know, saying one thing about their work can then stem to, you know, perfectionism down the track. And I think because I was so mindful of it, it definitely, I found it, stressful because I was being so cautious totally so I'm glad I'm not in that environment anymore because uh you know teachers it's it is a lot a lot on your shoulders to educate and to kind of shape and mold these young kids 
A hundred percent. So when you were at school then, and you know, recently you were diagnosed with ADHD and that's been a huge journey for you, which we will get into, but I think it's important to talk about first, like when you were at school and you were struggling to pay attention, perhaps you were mucking up, rebelling because it was difficult. What were people around you saying to you? What were you made to feel and Mm. be taught about your own um, way of learning? Yeah. Um, you know, now I reflect back and a lot of it, 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 if I had known earlier, I think my life would be a lot different and, you know, you can't change the past and it is what it is. And and there's a lot more education around ADHD now, but it was a lot of that thinking, like, I'm not good enough. Like, why can't I do what they're doing? Why am I always so messy? Why can't I remember to bring my PE uniform to school? Like, just a lot of a lot of the shit that I've had to work through now, it it stems from that feeling of hopelessness and like why can't I do this? That frustration mm. from from being a kid and from high school. And the interesting thing about your journey with ADHD is that you've used um, the full spectrum of medicine. So you've gone the Western medicine avenue to get diagnosed. You've worked with a traditional talk therapy. And I know that diagnosis brought you a lot of, um, I guess, just comfort in giving you something to understand why this was happening. And then you also have done the alternative medicine route. So you and I work together on, you know, really accepting yourself for who you are and coming through those limiting beliefs through, you know, a lot of energy medicine work. Tell me about the the journey though. Tell me about like, you know, being able to incorporate both medicines because that experience is not that, is not that common for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was diagnosed in November. So sort of three months ago now, and um, it's been a roller coaster of acceptance. You know, some, some days I'm really accepting that this is, this is my reality now. And then other days I'm like, how, <laughs> how has this happened? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I think it, without having the different tools to draw on, it would be a lot harder because one thing can help with a certain area, but not necessarily the next. So, you know, working with you was a lot on that acceptance and really honoring myself and where I was at. And then working with an ADHD mentor, really learning about ADHD and learning about how my brain works and having that self-awareness and learning about like ways that I need to regulate with ADHD. Um, and then, yeah, so it's a lot of different avenues that you can go down to support yourself. And then you've got the medication route as well of, but then that doesn't help with the, you know, the executive functionings and, and everything. So it's definitely been a can of worms the past few months. And at times it's felt overwhelming. Like there's so much that I need to learn now about myself, but at the same time, it was like the veil has lifted and I understand now that I feel the way I feel and I do the things I do. And then once we have that understanding, there comes self-compassion. But this celebration of your inconsistency, I think has been one of the most beautiful things. Mm. And I think what I would love you to share is that practice that we were able, that your body curated for you 
in terms of like your schedule as an inconsistent being and how you, you know, had different tasks for different times. I think that not even for someone that has ADHD, but someone who has an inconsistent energy type can use that. Yeah. It's so interesting because, oh, I just, I love this. I love talking about it because I, for years and especially starting my own business, took so much advice from neurotypical people, like do this, try that in bring this schedule in and do and it was just like whoa why is none of this working for me I'm like oh yeah cool I'll try that'll last a week and then I'd feel like a failure because I couldn't stick to anything and then now learning about my ADHD and what we spoke about was with my human design it's all about responding so with us it was we were talking about how how can I respond to this moment how can I respond to what my ADHD is telling me right now okay maybe sitting on my laptop is not the best thing I can be doing instead I'll go for a walk and I can listen to a podcast instead and or you know go to the beach and watch a a masterclass or a workshop there rather than feeling like I need to sit at my laptop and do it so it was um doing the work and really identifying like okay, when my capacity is at 5%, what are some of the things that I can do? When my capacity is at like 20%, what are some of the things that I could do? All the way up to when am I 100%, what are the kind of things that I can work through to really feel empowered and and all of that? So first it really took like, and it's, you know, ADHD or not, it's really learning about your energy and your mood and how that fluctuates and knowing like, your cycle and what stages you are when you have your period and when you're ovulating and just really learning about how you fluctuate as a cyclical being. And then when you're feeling a hundred percent, what do you have the energy for versus when you've got 5% energy or focus or whatever, what are the things that you can be doing to support yourself in those moments as well? Yeah. And it's that acceptance versus guilt, shame, apathy. Mm. And not to say that those emotions aren't okay. There is no, you know, good or bad emotions. There is just like higher vibrational emotions and lower vibrational emotions. And when we're, when we're working as energy beings, what we want to do is have our vibration as high as we can, you know, as often as we can. Now, I think, you know, that real big tipping point came for you when you went from saying, you know, why me, why is this happening to, okay, I accept my inconsistency. I'm responding to it. I'm working with it. I know how to transmute those lower vibrational feelings when they happen, but that's not my main state of being. And Mm -hmm. I know that when you went into that state of acceptance, you know, you signed two new clients in like a month and, you know, long-term clients and things started really, you know, happening for you. You were led to the people that were going to support you because you were now a vibrational match for them. And that acceptance, I think people think you have to go from, you know, lower vibe, fear to like unconditional love to like manifest what you want and blah 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 but really if we look at like the scale and for anyone listening the scale I'm talking about is David Hawkins scale of consciousness acceptance courage neutrality it's a higher vibrational choice than staying in like guilt and shame and fear So when you can notice that you're in those places, you can do the work to process them and just get back to a state of acceptance. And I feel like acceptance for you is something that we've worked on a lot. Mm -hmm. That has been such a big game changer for you because instead of making stories about things, you just take the data, 
yeah. leave the story behind. And with that data, you respond and then you're completely living in your, um, your strategy as a manifesting generator as well. So as soon as you start getting all this really deep self-awareness and doing these different practices, you're living in alignment across, you know, so many different facets of, of who you are. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's what it comes down to every day now is leaning into that acceptance and dropping the stories, dropping the guilt, like dropping the, I should do this, or I should be able to do that. And it's like, no, what is the evidence right this moment? And like what we spoke about leaning, how can I lean into acceptance here rather than trying to fix or force anything? Yes. I love that. You're so special. And the work that you do is so special. And I am excited to see where it all goes. How can um, everyone find you? So on Instagram, alana.aken. Um, and I've also got my website, which is www.alanaaken.com. Um, and yeah. Uh, all right, my girl. Well, thank all you right. so much for um, this chat today. I so fun. So fun. And yeah, I love that you're in my life. It's only thank been you. like not even a year. but I know, it's wild. Nice. I know, it's so nice being on this journey with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, girl. My pleasure, babe. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could leave me a review and share it with your friends and family. If you'd like to connect with me, please find me on Instagram at Energia with four underscores or jump on my website, www.theenergiaexperience.com.au. I cannot wait to see you next time. I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and pay my respects to the elders, both past and present.